Are we hey. doing it on sound? Hello. Is that blocking his face though? Is it good? All right. You probably get a little bit closer. Welcome everybody to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. Today's guest is Sean Fafman. Thanks for being on the show, man. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so for those who don't know, Sean is a recording and performing artist as well as a songwriter and music educator. His uniquely refined skills on the organ and piano have taken him around the world as a solo artist, sideman, and band leader. Uh, as an educator, Sean founded the First Coast School of Music, was a past chair for, uh, for the Arts Advisory Council for Duval Public Schools, and is currently a writer and uh, instructor at chucklevellsirockyou.com. He's currently on the precipice of releasing his seventh album, Monk Funk, which is, uh, which is a reinterpretation of the Thelonious Monk tunes um, and uh, in a style that you've coined junk, which is pretty dope, junk. <laughs> um, uh, with, uh, with his band Spot. Uh, the album also includes one original song, uh, Monk uh, Monk Funk. Jesus, oh, I'm crushing it today. Yeah. Monk Funk drops on all platforms tomorrow when this airs, uh, and will be supported with performance at 1904 Music Hall, which will also be a benefit for Dorian Lopez. On top of all that, you're a devoted father as well, and I, we just found out that like you're uh, you run like several businesses too. Yeah. So you're just a really busy guy. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, well, welcome. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, sticking through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you came over. Thank you. Um, and real quick shout out to uh, Manifest for uh, providing us with whiskey and bourbon uh, for the show. And Sean also brought us some of, what was this called again? Clyde Mays. Clyde Mays from Alabama. Alabama, <laughs> Alabama really whiskey. Good, so I'm from Alabama, so. It's smooth. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Thanks we haven't for done coming. cheers at the beginning of the show in a long time. I'm, was, that's not my fault, right? Where's our production manager? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, before we get started, uh, we're, we're, yeah, actually, we're, uh, just, I wanted to, uh, we, we started a little late today, not that that matters to anybody when this airs, but um, are we vastly overpaying Gene, or? Oh, man. Like, we're really going to bring this up, like, in front of everybody? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to actually say this out loud, but, yeah, we, we should, you know, at least dock them a we'll little probably bit. Probably dock them a little dock bit. Dock them a little bit. Yes. I don't know, Gene. You got you to gotta start earning your worth around here, bro. Yeah, he, yeah, he showed up showed up like two hours late and then forgot the most important chord to start this whole podcast, right? Yeah, so <laughs> as a result, we're starting an hour and a half late. So thanks, Gene. Docked. 100%, man. <laughs> we got to catch up, though. Yeah. Well, just, uh, no, just like three words of advice. I'm, that's, you know, I think uh, uh, a lot of people need to hear it. Just get it together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, back to regularly scheduled programming. Um, where's joking, Gene? We love you, bro. Yeah, he told me to just go along with it, so I did. But I don't like he's he's done he's done more for us than anybody else has this entire time we've done this thing. Oh, Chris is doing a pretty good job too. <laughs> yeah, basically chopped liver over there. Anyways, welcome to the roasting Chris and Gene <laughs> podcast featuring Sean Fafman. Sean's just gonna sit here and listen to us roast. Chris and Gene, that's all that's a whole episode. That's why he's here. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah, I took my time today. I yeah. thought I thought you were gonna roast them both, but I guess not. Sorry, I thought <laughs> sorry, Chris. <laughs> I thought he was there he was doing a thing, he was gonna get roast both of you, but you're just just picking on Gene today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, anyways. 
Uh, so I, I listened to uh, the, the album that you sent, uh, Monk Funk, which was awesome, by the way. I Thank love you. the uh, uh, Be- Beshma. Um, yeah, Bimsha Swing. Yeah, it's so good, man. Uh, that lo- the melody was beautiful. And then your original tune on there was really funky. I just, I lo- the performances were amazing. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, I'm curious, what is junk? Junk is just jazz and funk. Okay. So I just decided to call it junk. Um, kind of a just what, what, what I'm doing with this is kind of playful. Uh, if you go to our website, it's all like a comic book. It's serious music, but not taking it too seriously. So uh, same thing, just calling it junk. You know, Miles Davis would have derogatory terms when he thought someone was awesome. It would be like, you're terrible. Right, right. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like junk to me is, I love it. And uh, I love blending those two worlds. And especially with this album, uh, Thelonious Monk to me was just one of the funkiest jazz piano players around, both in his compositions and his playing. It was so, he used dissonance and um, his syncopation. So it just lent itself to applying it to kind of New Orleans funk grooves. I mean, it makes it so much more uh, palatable, I think, also. You know, it's like you wouldn't think that it was so, like, um, I guess, harmonically complex listening to your interpretations of them, you know? That's Uh, important to me. You know, I love dissonance, but not just for the sake of dissonance. I love dissonance that resolves and has purpose and to where... Anyone can listen to it and get moved by it. You know, the, um, I don't like some of those. The one song called Brilliant Corners has these crazy, crazy changes. In one section, that's 15 bars, and it's just, it's just wild. But I tried to approach it in the same way, playing through these changes in a way that it doesn't feel like that. Right. Bim- oh, go ahead. Yeah, Bimsha Swing was the same way, where it's using some really dissonant type things going on, flat nines and stuff. I, uh, I love uh, the, uh, the chord, like just the progression, uh, the melody in, in, in that one. It's like just, it's so, it's like very minor and then you don't expect it to like, like resolve this major kind of thing and it's just, it's so pretty, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, re- I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and and uh, for, for the 1904 show, show what's the, uh, the benefit for? So... My friend, uh, Dorian Lopez, was in a terrible uh, car accident a little while back, and recently. And he's had numerous surgeries and will be out. Uh, He's a musician, and and he also had a full-time job, and um, he's just going through a lot. So we're trying to figure out how a way we can help in a meaningful way. Um, And he's got a GoFundMe out there that people can... um, can, can help out with, and we thought, you know what, let's take this show, and we've been doing a lot of promotion for it, and put it for him, and, and give the proceeds to him, and, and so hopefully that make his recovery a little bit easier. That's awesome, man. He's didn't a very nice guy. Didn't you guys do that one time for somebody? Yeah, but it wasn't because of a car accident. It was for bail money. Uh, but it was, yeah. 
Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> At 1904, actually. Yeah. For a very good friend of mine that I think we all know who we're talking about. But yeah. Anyways, I think that's very honorable. That's amazing that you're doing that for me. Are, you're, uh, you're, you said that, that this album's going to drop on, I guess that would be the... The ninth. The ninth. I was so close. The same day. Same day as the show, April 9th. That's amazing. Okay, cool. Yeah, I want to come to that for sure. Yeah. Um, you guys are welcome to sit in, too. We're going to have... Uh, people sitting in. That'd be so much fun, man. Yeah, yeah I'd love to do I'd, that. I just do it because I never got to play a Hammond XB before. I just really want to play on that. that yeah. Were you invited to play the Hammond X? He just yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to tell him to bring that thing. I'll bring my 1983 Casio tone. Without a doubt. Yeah, bring yeah. that too. It's got great, great sounds. Billy's got a really cool melodica in the other room. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, he plays it all the time before he goes to sleep. Uh, just to remind himself that he's not alone in the world, you know? What is wrong with you? Anyways, <laughs> that's so, so weird. What is the uh, what was the inspiration for uh, for putting this record together? So, I guess it's been a little over a year now. Last um, yeah, about a year and a half, I was just listening to Mark Tunes and just had the idea to to do it, and then. Um, I got to, at that time, I was uh, touring with a blues artist, Anson Funderburg, and so it kind of got put off on the back burner, and then once that was done, last May, um, Paul Griffin, had the drummer on the album, had hit me up about doing some drum work on another album that I had released. So I knew that he was open to being creative and trying different things. So we got together and just started jamming and realized that we really enjoyed it. And for the last year, every week, we've just been working it out and fine-tuning it through regular rehearsals and shows and just coming up with different twists the whole time. Then um, I brought in the guitarist on the album who's a student of mine. So I started teaching him uh, Evan Sinclair when he was like 11 or 12. And he, I've taught thousands and thousands of students. And he's by far at the top of uh, students that were just motivated and, and hard, you know, just dedicated. Everything that I would give him, whether it was, um, you know, we'd start off on Steve Ray Vaughan and B.B. King and then went to Eric Johnson and Jimmy Herring, and then went to Charlie Parker, and, and um, everything I would give him, he would just absorb. So um, he far passed me on guitar skills, but I continued to work with him on theory and just musicality. And um, still, you know, we have a relationship where I was still teaching someone vocals and, and um, piano. But he's, uh, so he was a guitarist on there, That's Nin awesome. 19 years old. That must have been really cool to work yeah. with him in that capacity. Yeah. And he must have gotten the kick out of the process. That's his first time so, doing yeah. something like that? Yeah. Wow, he crushed it, man. That's that's not an easy task to do your first uh, run, run at the studio, you know? Right. It's a whole, it's a whole <laughs> fucking world in there. Yeah. Um, was it a, uh, uh, the, like the... The process of putting the songs together was that was that like collaborative? Or was that basically your arrangements that were that those guys were just playing on? No, it was collaborative. So I had the idea, the initial idea, 
And some of the songs I would say, okay, maybe a second line beat would be best here. Or with like the Bimsha swing, it's got a very Middle Eastern type vibe to it. So we brought in, um, it was Paul's idea to bring in the element of the toms and things like that to really give it that driving caravan-esque feel. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was collaborative. Awesome. And how much of that was improvised in the, uh, just like the solo or just, you know, the improv moments, I guess? hundred percent. So, so all the, uh, improvisations just, just put out there, but, um, we did work out the, the melodies and the structure and things like that. Um, but I would just leave it up to the guys. Like if, uh, if Evan wanted to put in like a, like a complimentary guitar line to what I was playing, I just leave that free open to him. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, was there a uh, was there, was there like a set amount of time that people were going to be soloing, or was that all like kind of just leaving it up to them as well in the moment? So we did kind of work that out after you know we would play through them. Now live's a different story. Live we go until we just feel like we're done. But for the album, we figured out kind of what worked best. And some of the songs are eight minutes, some are five minutes. So um, it wasn't a set thing. Okay, we're going to do, you know, two times through the form on this. But um, but once we kind of got what we knew was what we liked and what we were comfortable with, then when we recorded it, that's what we did. Okay, so you guys are pretty well rehearsed before going yeah. into it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we spent a long time. And that's really one of the first times in my career that's done that and I for this album I told the guys I was like I know it's not gonna get any kind of Grammy attention or any kind of attention like that so but I want it to be Grammy worthy I want it to be something I could be proud of and that my grandkids can be proud of and things like that so I want us to really take the time to get it right um, just so that it would be a good quality product that we are proud of yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it definitely is. You guys accomplished that for sure. Would you say that most uh, jazz albums that you ever listened to, it's all uh, not improv, but well, I guess it is improv, but it's all uh, at the same time. It's not like, you know, pre-thought out and, and worked on uh, in a studio. I think it depends on the artist and the right? era that you're talking about. But it seems it like does. it's that way, right? It, it, um, it was. So, so back in the day, in the 50s and 60s, they did. And today it's mixed. So you'll find some artists that just want to record it live, mm -hmm. and, and that's what they want because they want the, like the pureness of it. Then other artists, maybe because of logistics reasons or whatever it might be, I remember uh, Chick Corea saying how the last album that he did, he, it was during COVID. So you know he just recorded his parts. He sent it to the guys. They recorded their parts. Everybody sent it back. So... That's right. pretty. It's pretty. It's uh, crazy to think. Yeah, Chikorita did that. Yeah, for a jazz record. <laughs> yeah. It's like and like their stuff. Um, I mean, I, I'm r more familiar with like his earlier stuff. I don't know what his stuff was was sounding like. You know, before, like up until he died. But um, I can't imagine that working in that context. I feel like that has to be done in a live setting. It's wild to me that that they did it remotely. You know. Yeah, and they may have gone back and forth. What I've done before was uh, recorded something. And somebody else will record something, and I record on top of that. Yeah. So, like, we're kind of feeding off of what we're doing. Right. Because jazz, 
truly is a um, conversation. Right. Like the the best that I've been a part of, or not the best, but the most enjoyable that I've been a part of has been when when we were all together and we we're just vibing, you know. And that's any music, I think. I like that distinction that you made there. The uh, not the best, but the but the fun, like the, the most fun, most enjoyable, you know, most enjoyable. Because it's like it is that. It's like sometimes there's a, there's a, there's such a polished product, but that's not always the thing that's like so enjoyable. Sometimes it's it's just like the. I mean, most of the time it's just that vibe, you know. Even if the band doesn't sound the best or it's a little sloppy, whatever it might be, if the personalities are just gelling, everyone's feeling it that that night. There's then that's you know that's the thing that we all strive for. Um, are you familiar with Eric Krasno? Oh yeah. So he talks. He has a podcast that's really good called Kras Plus One, and uh, he was talking about um, some Miles Davis stuff that they had released, like these like these alternate takes of like from uh, from some of his earlier stuff, and how some of those takes were like technically better. Well, like they were well, they were better performed, right? But uh, the energy and like the feeling wasn't there, so they went with the takes that may not have been as perfect, but just hit you in that certain way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, you know, to, as an artist to, to to be able to make that choice. You know, I was hanging out with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and there was um, uh, Miles Tune being played, and he said, "Did you hear that? Miles flubbed it there," and sure enough, you know, but that's part of the beauty of it. It's like, it's not perfect. Yeah. Right. I was, I was going to add, uh, jam bands are like almost exactly the same way in the yeah. way that you listen to them. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. but is there like a, like a nugs.net, like archive.org for like, for jazz shows? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good or question. like, do like big jazz heads or like, I don't listen to these albums unless it is a live recording. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. That's the way that, like, you know, Deadheads are, right, or, right. you know, any sort of jam band fan is. It's like, you're listening to the album. Don't listen to the album. Listen to, like, 87. Yep. Listen yeah. to 77. Exactly. 77 was a good Boulder. year. Yeah. Was yeah. Boulder, yeah. That show was off the chain. Exactly. That's why I want to know if, it's, if jazz is the same way. No. No, not even close? No. Because they, they didn't have it recorded, I guess? Well, I, I say no um, because... You don't find like many bootleg jazz things. Now there are tons of jazz live albums. Yeah, that yeah, is, that, and they mostly are. Like in my opinion, is yeah. that's that's what you see. Is it? It's live. You're like, oh, because you'll never know it's live until you hear applause at the end. You're like, oh, it's live. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> so uh, you 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 do see a lot of that with uh, jazz live at the Village Vanguard. Yeah, or, or Smalls, um, but as far as just in the at least in the jam band community is literally I know in the nineties when I was really touring around with the jam bands, it would just be whoever that had a you know, a tape recorder at the time. Tapers, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You get uh, those bootleg tapes and stuff and that's like the archive dot org. Yeah. That's where that's where all of those tapes are now. Right. Like for all the dead shows and stuff and then the they basically have you know about nugs.net, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's like the Netflix of jam bands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not aware of any any jazz uh, That's what sites I'm like that, but that that wouldn't surprise me though. I, f- I feel like I feel like there's there there is like a, a bit of a similarity in the way that that the shows are perceived, where it's like 
their version of this song at this show was like better than what was on the album or like you know what I mean I don't know I'm also like not super into that community so I don't I wouldn't really know but they're just jamming the whole time right yeah basically jazz is just jam but just a little fancier yeah I think <laughs> ordained yeah I'll tell you like <laughs> some of my most favorite stuff is the modal music that really came out or got real big in the 60s with uh, Miles and Coltrane. Um, I'm trying to think. But that they would, they would go off. It was so similar to uh, the jam band experiences that I've had. Yeah, because it's like just vamping on one or two chords. And, mm-hmm. then, and like all, all they were really doing was just implying all this weird harmony and stuff like that. Yeah. But ultimately, like, so what is just one chord, then it just goes up like a half step, and then it, it is weird to count it, though, right? Because it's like, what is it, like 36 measures or something? And then it changes and it, like for like eight measures, and it goes back. So when you're soloing over it, you have to like keep track of that because it, it doesn't change, you know? It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, I always rely on the drummers, and then the, the drummers will invariably intentionally skew it yeah I'm yeah like, oh come on man just tell me when you know yeah give it to me because it is because you have uh 16 measures of d and then eight measures of e flat then back to eight measures of d another 16 measures of d and it's like right. that right in there it's like okay when are we going i just wait for the bass i'm like it's up to you yeah i'm following you yeah that's uh, that's where the listening comes into play just yeah intent yeah. listening you know yes it's literally the same concept i mean jam bands got their entire uh, platform from from jazz basically. That's where the J A yeah. comes from. <laughs> You're right. Thank you. Where's Aaron when you need him? Yeah, <laughs> that was funny that show last. Yeah, <laughs> last weekend. I like how Aaron do, like like does that. Like he he does like he always does the, the drum joke thing when it's like not a joke, a which shot? which makes yeah which makes it <laughs> whatever. But yeah, but that's what makes it funny though. It's like. It's like we've been cracking jokes the whole time, and you don't do it. Then we make a not like like a real statement, and then you do it. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah, that is pretty good. It's good, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, where did you guys record this record at? Um, Paul's has a studio. Our drummer Paul Griffin is uh, Gator Grooves Studio. Where is that at? It's uh, in St. Augustine. Okay, cool. Um, and what was the recording experience like, as far as just? Um, you know, the setup and, you know, uh, the pr- 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 post-production process and like, how did that all work out? So while we were recording it, um, you know, we just did the typical thing with the three of us in one room, amps and other places. Um, obviously, his drums were right there, but for us, my I was running through the uh, one of my Leslie cabinets and had that in another room and then... The guitar amp was in the other room. So, yeah, so we just went through, recorded it. Uh, we did go back through and retake certain things, you know, if uh, we wanted to clean something up. Um, we'd do that individually. So, did you guys do it to a metronome? No. No, okay, that that's insane. That you, like, so you guys are, like, punch stuff in and, like, and not have it on any kind of grid. You're just no. going for it. Whew, that is wild. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I've done that on the last two albums that I've done, and I noticed that it gets more organic. Yeah, in that way. So, I, yeah, 
And what, what got me to do that was Chick Corea was saying how he was, he was like anti-metronome, even for practicing. But his main philosophy was that if it, there are certain times where a song should speed up or should slow down, and it gives us this organic movement. He was, uh, spoke specifically about a couple of his songs where it would, he'd listen back to it, and they jumped up like 20 beats per minute. And, but he decided to leave it because it felt right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. That's just you're it. not playing a metronome. You're playing live. No, I know that's true. That's true. I'm, a, I'm, I'm. A Even if you got like really good time and everything too, you know what I mean. You're still gonna be a little bit off. No one's perfect. Yeah, totally, totally. I, I, Except for that dude from Cream. What was his name? The bass player. Uh, J- Jack Bruce. Yeah, Jack Bruce. Yeah. I knew it was Bruce something. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I wish we could cut to that clip. Have you ever seen Beware Ginger Baker? That, that yeah, documentary? Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite clips of all time. It is, it's Ginger clip, Baker though. being like, oh, I fucked that guy. He was a cunt or whatever. And then it just, I was like, but he's got perfect time. And then it just clips to uh, Bruce. And he's like, yeah, I have perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite clips. Ever. Oh, my goodness. So, hold on, hold on. Do you believe that perfect time exists? Absolutely not. No. Oh, I was saying, cause, cause oh then, you mean like, yeah, I, I mean, it exists, of course, but is a human capable of doing it always? No. Okay, okay. I was just curious because you also don't believe in perfect pitch. Per- have somebody having perfect pitch? Yeah. It, well, it's just the word perfect. I just don't believe in that word. So it's true. It's and I, and true. I, I'll tell you, like, this is how I know it's true. I, I never believed in perfect pitch either. I always thought it was relative pitch. Like you already. And about... Ten years ago, I started working with a student that was um, had autism, and he was nonverbal up until he was about six. By the time I met him at eight, he was uh, verbal and, and was high functioning, um, but he was still you could you know he was still dealing with it. So um, his dad says, uh, "Let me show you something," and he went to the other room. And he was like, "Play any key." And I played, and the kid would just immediately call out what note it was. Awesome. Didn't matter where I went, and it blew my mind. Then, uh, and I worked with him for a couple of years, and and anything he would hear, he would just automatically like his brain just worked differently than ours. And then I ended up working with another autistic student that was four years old, and he was completely nonverbal, and. The communication was very sparse, and he had an attention span of about six seconds. So I was just doing things to kind of um, work on his motor skills and uh, different things that I've learned with working with special needs kids. And I would play something, and he would just wander off to, like, the other side of the room, and I'd, I'd play it. And he'd just come right back, and he'd play it immediately, exactly Jeez. what I played. Wow. That's crazy. So that's that 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 made you believe in perfect pitch. Yeah. So what do you say to that, Bill? I mean, it's subjective. So it's, I don't know what to tell you. That's a great story, though. I I I no it's, no it, no. Don't say that <laughs> over there. What, what, what else? You? What else would you call it, though? No, I, I'm just saying, like the word "perfect" in general is is just like because. Well, that's pretty finite, yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt, like uh, because. Just that, but yeah, of course that's amazing. Like you said, would you say relative pitch? Yeah, yeah, I believe in that without yeah. a doubt. Well, yeah, because if you have a reference point, then sure. But like, oh no, but- no, no, no. Uh, you, you're right. Sorry, that, that that's not what what I thought you meant. I I was trying to say more of that, uh, like 
when it comes down to how perfect it could be, like if you're trying to tell something from a 440 hertz to like four, you know, 39 hertz or something. Oh, okay. Like that. No, you I, know what I, I mean. Yeah, That's you, ridiculous. You know? Yeah, yeah. Usually people just mean that that um, yeah. Yeah, that like you can recognize a, a pitch or you can produce a pitch. I think so, and it's an incredible talent. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, yeah. so I will I will give it up to them. If that's if there's no better word for it than perfect pitch for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course I believe in that. Because like because because like relative pitch can be developed. Right? Well, I know like, what relative pitch yeah, is and, now, and, and that's something that anybody that if you work at it, you can you can get relative pitch. Um, but yeah, the the perfect pitch stuff is like just boom. Oh, that that was a B flat. It's like well the fuck you know what i mean right. that's wild man it really is like i i I've, I've met musicians over the years you could like drop keys and they can tell you what the interval of the of, of those sounds are you know what i mean it seems like you should be able to learn it the same way that you learn anything else just because like i can see like a color like the lava lamp is orange well you might be able i to know s- that that is orange from the other times i've seen orange before i don't have to think about it well you, you know can I mean? you, you can you can might be able to tell the quality of a chord right yeah. But you might not be able to call out the individual notes. Like you might not be able to say like that's a B flat uh, thirteen or something, right? Yeah. But or like, the order of the notes, yeah, like, which the, is lowest. What, and like what inversion and stuff. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. That's the difference between perfect pitch. It's like okay, I can tell you this is a diminished chord, but like, can you tell me which diminished chord it is, and can you tell me you know the order of the notes? You know, the so it's like it. yeah, exactly. So every now and then you'll get like a hundred percent correct, and then you look like a genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, never get it correct. Now me neither. I got terrible ears. <laughs> Yeah, I was doing ear training for a little while, um, and then it's just, called oral training, actually. What, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, and I was getting good at like being able to hear the intervals, like when I was like learning tunes and stuff. And then I just kind of, you know, never kept up with it. And my ears aren't terrible by any. Like I, I learn. That's how I learn everything is by ear. Um, Thank you. But uh, yes, oral correct. theory training. Uh, well, if you go on musictheory.com or .net, they call it ear training. So I'm going to refer to them. That's to get more customers on their website. <laughs> okay. I'm um, just kidding. Come on. Relax. Um, but uh, anyways, back to the uh, regular scheduled programming. Okay. What's um, the uh, – you have the uh, um, CS Churchman project also. So, so what was that uh, all about? So, last December, a year ago December, I got COVID, and um, my I have family members that are susceptible to things, so it's completely isolated from my whole family. I was the stay. I have a little home studio, so I just stayed in there for the ten days and just wrote and recorded music the whole week, and it ended up being soul kind of songwriter stuff that just told stories. And so I released it, and um, but I didn't want to get confused. The stuff I have under my name, Sean Fafman, is mainly Southern jazz piano and, and things like that. Um, so I didn't want to confuse the two, so I went with the moniker C.S. Churchman. Fafman is, Faf is just another word for church. Fafman meant man of the church. And my name is Christopher Sean, so. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, were you uh, symptomatic when you had COVID? No. No, okay. The, um, but a friend of ours is an occupational therapist, and my wife was freaking out. She's like, you got to stop singing so much. You're going to you know, die up there. And I was like, <laughs> no, it feels good. Like, and a friend of ours, occupational therapist, she said, no, that's probably the best thing he can do. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, because what when when you told me that you did it when you had COVID, I was like, yeah, I was kind of reading that too. I was like, I, wow, is it like, <laughs> yeah. is it good? Because <laughs> yeah. like you were sick, right? <laughs> which which it is, it's great. Like yeah. the, the song, uh, uh, window pain pains. Yeah, yeah, I was listening to that today, and the music video you did. Is that in your house? That's your piano that you, you're working with. Mm-hmm. That must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the video. Was it was it a grand piano or something? My wife gave me a grand piano for my 40th birthday. Nice. So it's probably that one. This guy's awesome. got a grand p- piano. What is it? Fucking Maserati. Uh, Baldwin. I knew it was a Baldwin. I, I was like, Baldwin. This guy's ready to Baldwin. Uh, the, um, I was literally looking out the windows. That's all that was there. And I was just thinking about the windows and, and the just that play on word pain, you know, whether the window pain or the pain that I was feeling. Because I was I was asymptomatic for the most part, but then also you know, as a musician, I know most of us have probably dealt with this at some point or another. But just the anxiety that we go through of uh, performing things like that and dealing with that anxiety, um, I kind of lumped that all together. And people say that your eyes are the windows to your soul, so I use that as a metaphor of the window panes for being able to look into what was going on inside of me, both physically and, you know, mentally or whatever. Right. So, and, and that was a lot of anxiety I was going through when I had the COVID, because at that time I had, um, you know, I know a few people that had passed away. I was like, I cannot leave my family like this. So, um, so yeah, so that's what that was about. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics are beautiful, and, yeah. and I mean, the songs are really... Uh, like somber and introspective, you know. I thought it was it was great, man. Thank and it really shows your versatility as a writer as well and a musician. Did, did you play all the instruments on that? Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah. Wow. So you you play drums and. So I play over forty instruments. Holy what? shit! Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in your bio. What's the bro? weirdest no. one? <laughs> um, the weirdest one. The kazoo, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you an avid kazoo guy? So the hand bone, probably. Yeah, yeah. Or no, what is it? The jawbone. No, what is it called? I can't think of the word. Yeah, the Billy's jaw, known no, for uh, the jaw harp. Yeah. Jaw harp. Thank you. Yeah, Billy's sorry. known for ruining bits on the show. That's no, okay. yeah, but I really wanted to know. Uh, wow, forty instruments. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, um, in my twenties, I had a musical instrument store. Oh yeah, duh. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the teachers that I had working there, I didn't charge them anything to teach there. Okay. And I said, the only thing you have to do is you just have to teach me. So that's where I learned violin and saxophone and mandolin and. You play all these proficiently, like you could do a gig. No, I used to, um, but probably about ten years ago, ten fifteen years ago, I really decided to just focus in on um, the organ and piano. Okay. Um, But I still I teach I teach uh, guitar, drums, bass, piano, violin. The main ones, but but things like trumpet and saxophone, that takes repetition. You have to build up the chops. Right. And and actually all of them, even the violin. Like if I played the violin right now, it would be terrible. I haven't played it in, in probably a couple of years. Yeah. Um, you also, I feel like you have to have uh, a passion for that specific instrument. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like there's been times where like, I started off playing piano when I was a kid. And I can't play a lick now to save my life. But um, my, I was taking classical, uh, quote unquote, classical lessons, and it's like learning like Hal Leonard books and stuff like that, and um, and I had to practice every day for like an hour and do the whole thing, 
And when I was like 11, I, I stopped playing because I just I wasn't into it anymore. Um, and then I got, when I was 14, I started playing guitar, and I really liked the guitar a lot. And all my favorite musicians at the time were all guitar players, and so and I and I just found myself wanting to play the guitar. I would pick it up in my spare time. I would write songs. I would do all that. Now to this day, as, as much as I love music, um, the only thing that I ever feel inspired to sit down and play is the guitar. Like not a piano. I have one at my house. I never play it. Um, I have a bass. I I never play it. Like I just. The guitar is the one thing I, I really enjoy playing, you know? My story is almost identical to yours. The So when I was 12, I wanted to quit playing. I've been taking the classical lessons. and um, But my teacher convinced my parents to have me stick with it, so she got me a blues book. And then my dad got me a journey book. And all of a sudden it became fun, but I was still, like, <clears throat> it, it became more exciting, right? So... That was a huge point for me in determining that I wanted to be a musician for the rest of my life. But the I I love guitar, and Hendrix is one of my favorite guitars of all times. So <clears throat> my brother played some guitar, and my dad played guitar. Guitar was always around our house, and they would teach me things. And I bought my first guitar when I was fourteen. And that's all I did. I was still taking piano lessons, but I wasn't playing piano really. I was just playing guitar. And then when I got to college, I was studying from this amazing guy that played with Albert King and some other people. And he was just, I was just soaking it in. And I actually had a Jimi Hendrix tribute band. Nice. And my hair, like, my hair is real curly. And I, when it grows out, and I have a, what I call a fafro. Fafro. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clever. And, uh, but I, everybody kept hiring me for gigs on the piano. And um, when I went to audition at the school at Auburn to, for studying the jazz department, I was most proficient on piano, even though I loved guitar more at that time. So I got in for piano, and that's what I was playing. But then I was playing with this blues band, and I found the organ. And I was like, oh, man. Best of both worlds. I can sustain notes. I can do swells. I can do vibrato. I can do all these things. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds. And I fell in love with the organ. It was like I could create all this emotion. Now, I still, like, I've grown falling back in love with the piano because it's a very percussive instrument. But it's like... For me, it's like the difference between an acoustic and electric guitar. Yeah. You know, they're two different instruments for different purposes, but if I only had to choose one, it would just be the organ. Um, but I still, like, I built my own guitar. Um, I still play guitar daily. That's awesome. I love it. The, um, yeah, I'm just like a frustrated guitarist behind the organ. <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever uh, mess around with synthesizers at all? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've got a couple. Um, back in the day, I used to have a few different Moogs and like. What'd you have? They had a little micro Moog. Yeah, the mic. Wow, nice. That's good. Yeah, and um, I had the Korg Poly Six. Okay. And um, right now I've got an Ovation, the, right. the bass, something. So yeah, I love just that with the oscillators and the filters and. I never, I never play it out live though. That's I what I got is a '79 uh, Mo Prodigy. 
Nice. Yeah, his eyes lit up too. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's in my suitcase somewhere. You can't gig with that thing anywhere. It breaks all the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a nice little coffee table <laughs> decoration at this point. As it should be. Hey, <laughs> Oh Prodigy is the coolest sound ever. It is a cool sound. Yeah, yeah. Man. really liked it on the Pink Floyd song "Welcome to the Machine." Um, I don't know. That was the mini mode. I know, actually, that was a oh, that was a joke. Yeah, okay, yeah. sorry. I think it, Bill. You're on. And fire, I think right? that yeah, that was like '79. When did Wish We Were Here come out? I think uh, this is actually uh, boys. This, this what are we be, paying you for? This would be good to know actually <laughs> because we've been having this ongoing debate as oh, to for fuck's sake, what, we're do it again. What decade? Part of my language. We we could live without uh musically anyways <laughs> and i think the he 80s, said that he started uh, getting back into piano from a journey uh book so 75, 75 right again another yeah. another reason why the 70s is just that much better than the 80s the 80s can go to hell as, as far as i'm concerned the worst era for music by far yeah you have no f- oh. you're, you're not gonna have any friends like I you're mean, the I only person already don't have any friends well yeah well. <laughs> there's, there's like i would i used to agree with that because I, I just was not a fan of uh pop music and that was a big part of the 80s. Yeah, help, because help, I love the 80s, too. That's my, one of my favorites. Like, help me out here. Well, like, in the 80s, I was a diehard U2 fan. Okay. And um, Another band that was also better in the 70s, by the way. But it's right in the 70s, too. You think so? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just, if you like the raw, like, kind of almost punk rock element that they were doing back then. You just started in the 70s. I guess they had they to. They were, like, very late 70s. Late 70s, but, like yeah. 79, 80. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the early '80s stuff was was like that, and then um, the later the later '80s stuff I loved too. Joshua Tree, that whole album, Rattle and Hum, that Rattle and Hum album, man, I fell in love with 76. that. Seventy-six. I re- feel like they really hit their stride in two thousand. You know. Oh, when they like <laughs> they put their song on your iPhone and it was like, yeah. "This is our gift to you." Yeah. When, when when did Beautiful Day come out? Uh, I'm pretty sure that was like that was late the nineties. That was yeah. the nineties. I, I love that song. Yeah. I, d- I do too. It's I, the same chord progression the whole time too. Yeah, I, I just feel like any like real YouTube fan is be like is gonna be like fuck you for saying that the two thousands was the best era. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah two thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, you, you like the eighties now because of YouTube? Oh, not not really. I mean, but it's just it's not my it's not my. <laughs> <laughs> so the so YouTube is what made you love the eighties, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, I, the eighties I'm still not a fan of. Yeah, thank you. But um. But I don't know if it's the worst. What's the worst, do you think? Maybe like the 19-teens. Like the early 1900s? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's... that's a, that, that You're not going to piss anybody off saying that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, uh, e- even if that's a joke, there could be an argument made for that. But I also that feel tin like... tin pan alley no, that, that was actually a really good good time. Yeah. Because well, I heard, like, uh, the French uh, avant-garde movement. Yeah, like, well, and it, was, and it was also, like, oh it kind of set the... Uh, like, we're going to know any of these damn it set It set the, the tone the for the rest of the 19th... Or the what, rest of the 20th century, you know yeah. what I mean? A lot of, like, the early, well, like, big band. And, when did Stravinsky yeah. come out with the Rites of Spring? Yeah. Yeah. Best year for music. I feel like, I feel like the 1830s <laughs> could probably go. <laughs> That's like Beethoven, man. Was it Beethoven? Yeah. Okay, 1840s are gone then. 13, I knew it. Yeah. 13. I don't know anything. He's got, he's got it, yeah. I can get out of here. That, that song sucks. <laughs> that one song. I don't know anything for me around, um, went on, that's not true either. I was going to say like 2000, 2010, but that's some of my favorite music too though, but not popular. But like uh, the stuff that 
Derek Trucks and J.J. Gray were coming out with. Yeah. Like, that's some of my favorite music. Totally. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I still think the 80s can go. For sure. Yeah, it's there, just like you just have a vendetta there, about the 80s. It's just, well, yeah. It, you just I heard me because there's a lot of great, great, great bands we were from on, the we, 80s. We, we, were, we played in Charlotte a few weeks ago, and on the way back from Charlotte, we, we've been having this, this conversation for a while. Um, I was a little, I, I was, no I was shit, very excited that we had, we had a, uh, you know, a thing oh that ended God. up working out so in our favor. You were so drunk I was driving Anyways, I was pretty drunk. <laughs> Just put on the and, bangles, man. And, and I was like, I was like, no, let's listen to some fucking 80s. I got you. I started putting on like Whip It by Devo and then like uh, the Go-Go's and like all this shit. I was like, yeah, the 80s are fucking awesome, Put on Van bro. Halen, man. I'm not a Van Halen fan, but he was, but they were also better in the 70s, though. No, it's, no. Yes. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Anyways. Uh, this is a good uh, a good segue into um, oh yeah great bottom yeah. of the billboard. So uh, did you check out the song? Yeah yeah. Okay cool. So uh, before very eighties uh, <laughs> before we we get to it uh, for those who don't know bottom of the billboard is a segment that we do every single week. Uh, one of us recommends a song for the other one to review. Um, and if you know anything about the dynamic, Billy and I typically can't agree on anything musically if you haven't determined that by now. Uh, so this week's song that Billy chose. Yep. Was uh, Tame Impala's "Let It Happen"? Let it happen off the album Currents. Uh, I think it came out in 2012, right? Yeah, even Gene's just like, yeah, that's a good one. So, what we what, uh, how, you go first? How to describe it? Yeah. I love uh, this album in particular. Tame Impala is a really great uh, artist. Uh, it's just Kevin Parker. It's just one person, and he writes everything, and then hires people to play. His name was Tame. That's really funny. Anyways, uh, <laughs> he. Uh, 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 this is his, his first song off the album, and it's very long uh, for like something as poppy as this because it, it's kind of experimental and it's kind of doing. The best way I can describe him is it's like it's like Pink Floyd, but with John Lennon singing over it, and super high vocals and everything with a lot of synthesizers and '80s, and just like the whole album is amazing. His new stuff is a little bit more poppy than I don't like, but this whole album is great. I picked this song because I thought you would like it. Because it's got like changes and stuff that that you might be getting into, but it's not my favorite song off of it. But I do like that song a lot. So La um, I uh, love the song. No way! Yeah, yeah. Did, you like Tame Impala? You did. Yeah. Well, I loved it too. Yeah. But yeah. he liked it. And that's what's weird. Yeah. No, I mean, I, because of everything that you said. I mean, there's a lot of textures. As yeah, far as pr- that's why I picked goes, it. You know, the synthesizers and all the, uh, but but then also it's like. Like the the arrangement, you know that it, like it goes places. There's a lot of peaks and valleys. Um, there's interesting kind of uh, melodies, and just there's just there's a lot going on that you can pay. You can kind of pick and choose what you want to listen to, and it's all doing something interesting. It's, it's very cool. And almost like movements too exactly. throughout the uh, song. Exactly. I, I love the lyrics. I, I thought the lyrics were fantastic. I didn't get couldn't really make the lyrics out too too much. I had to look them you talk, up. You're talking about at the end, right? Just in general. Well, at, at the end there are no lyrics. It's just he, that was the whole point of it. And I uh, guess maybe I'm not making a good case for him right now. But like in the beginning there are, of course. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff about him. Yeah, but it, go to go down the very very end of the song. It's just like. There are no lyrics. It's just like yeah. Anyways, I mean, um, I I love the, uh, the 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 vocal production also. Like it's kind of like very off in the distance yeah. and like you know very ethereal sounding. But the, you, sh- you should look into him how he's like recording it because that's all him. Yeah, I started. Lis- I was listening to a bunch of stuff. Well, no, no, no. I mean, like how he's recording it. It's him. Oh yeah. He, he uh, holds himself off away. He'll 
he's got a little bit of money, right? And so he, he just finds like a really nice, cool hipster place to stay alone by himself, and then he'll just stay there for like a year or so, and then write an album and come out with it. Oh wow, and that's really cool. Yeah, my only my only complaint with the song is that there's like this four minute kind of like like a disorienting kind of sound that starts to happen where it's like like I don't know. It's it's just but it's it just lasts way too long and then it's oh you're talking about that where it sounds like it's just like repeating yeah over almost and over like and over like again? yeah almost like yeah. what happens in have you seen the music video for it yet no uh, the music vi- uh, did you see it either? no okay. uh, it's it's literally uh, about him uh, about like a character uh, uh, having a heart attack and dying and so that like little is oh, him I like see. dying so and stuff in like the that. context of the video it makes more sense and the music video is really cool but he didn't write it for the music video or anything yeah. Just a lot of drugs, I guess. Or I don't <laughs> that, know. That was my only complaint. I thought they could have ended it before that, and it would have been fine. But that, I mean, that was so cool about it. Is that I, it t- I took it as like, um, just let things happen. Yeah. And and throughout, obviously that's never. yeah. That's it. Let it happen. <laughs> so, but yeah, let things happen. But throughout my life, whenever I've tried to push hard on something and force something, it just never turned out right. But when I just like let things happen, just go with the flow. It was always the best. Yeah, yeah. totally. You're a big lyrics guy? Yeah. Yeah, so is he. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the lyrics of the song, too, for sure. I'm just, I'm really big into uh, keyboard synthesizer stuff and everything like that, so that's what did it for me. Yeah. Everybody wins. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's great. So does it make the playlist? Yeah, 100%. Give, give it a thumbs up to the camera. It's kind of like, <laughs> like a Zeppelin thing, too, where right? it's like... Different movements and parts throughout. That's, the- what, that's what I liked about it. You know, like you, you, he, you recommended another Tame Impala song. Uh, <laughs> um, you, uh, you recommended the, that Tame Impala song a few we- a few weeks ago when Sailor Jane was here. Which one? Uh, no, that was Matt Demarco. Matt Demarco, and I was and like, it, it was again you know, all the synths and stuff like that. Like, yeah. that's not the stuff that I don't like. It's the stuff that you show me that I don't like, we're just sits there it's like the, it's just it's the same thing the whole time same thing the whole time what, the, what i liked about this is that the sounds are very creative the production was very creative yeah um and then the, but the song itself was also like very it was a very well arranged oh, and and you know he thinks one of the best song. songs of all time is smooth by santana i'm sorry rob I, thomas I didn't, no wait santana featuring rob thomas i didn't say it was one of the best songs of all time because of the changes. i do like the changes though there's some cool changes have you played that song before I have, but it's been a long time. Yeah, it's got some, for for a pop tune. You know what I mean? It's got it's some, like Latin type changes, right? Like yeah. A minor F to E kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but then they do like like there's like a walk down, and it goes like this minor two five kind of thing, and then there's like a I think there's like an E sus. I don't know. It's it's just it's it's like a cool like little little B half diminished. Yeah, but it's like a two five though to the uh, okay. Yeah, in so, a key. A. Yeah. So or is it in A? Uh, yeah, it's an A minor. Yeah, yeah. so it's a yeah. So is it a minor two five movement? So <laughs> not, not, not even close. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Shit like that. I, I just when when I find those kind of nuggets and pop tunes, I like that. You know what I mean? So and that kind of just adds a little bit more of the I don't know that cool factor to me. You can't just have a coke. You have to tell me all the ingredients. I have ingredients to have the whiskey in it, in it also. You yeah. you, no, you have to you have to have all the ingredients listed out and talk about it. Yeah, just, just drink the coke. You know yeah, what yeah, for sure. I love uh, Stevie Wonder songs because he, he does the same thing. Like, I wish more pop music was like that. Yeah, he's ridiculous. All yeah, the he does. And, and Sir Duke is in the key of B, and then he goes, he throws in this F minor. Oh yeah, it's like that has no, like, get out of here. Theoretical, you know. <laughs> 
You would never think of that. Totally. And uh, but it worked, and it's it's awesome. He kind of you know he's been one he's one of the few artists um, that's that's made that's found pop success uh, that just did whatever they wanted and yeah. just like because what's that man I forget the album was our friend Keith uh, the bass player in a band called the River Rats out of Asheville we were staying at his house one weekend when we were uh, playing up that way he showed us um, this one record. Can't remember what it's called oh, right yeah. now. Yeah, I do remember we were playing poker. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that night. And there's like just one tune on there. It's a straight up like jazz fusion tune. And you're just like, how does this guy have. Um, we're not going to remember. Uh, I know, I'll remember if I see it. It is a popular record. Dude, I think it was, it was up has. towards the top of that though. Um, let's see. Uh, it was a Hotter Than July. No, Inner Visions, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Inner Visions. It's got like. I mean, some super hip shit on there. Yeah, let's living for the cities on there. Yeah, uh, which is another. I mean, amazing it's a great song. song. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just it's 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 the the fact that he's able to get away with that kind of stuff and still find that kind of pop success, and also can play uh, Spain on the harmonica, the chromatic harp, which is insane too. Whoa. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of Thundercat a little bit. Yeah, he's, with the, he's or the with other the, way around. Sorry, Thundercat yeah. reminds me of Stevie Wonder. Yeah, because he does that uh, when he played at Ponte Vedra. You know, uh, Thundercat is yeah, the bass player. Uh, the bass player, like he's just ridiculous, and he writes all these like kind of cool, catchy pop songs. Then you go to see him, and he does like a thirty-minute jazz yeah. uh, session. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I saw that one video where it was uh, him, Domi, and JD Beck with yeah. um, Ariana Grande singing. Yes, yeah, that was yeah. Great. yeah. Oh yeah, like what? Yeah. She's actually really. Amazing singer, oh, too. Oh, she, yeah, she's incredible. Who knows? They're all just fake. They're not faking it. They're all just masking that. They're just incredible musicians just to, like, we, we know how to actually do this and, yeah. and write pop songs. Yeah, well, mo- I mean, most most of the, the, the hired guns that you see yeah. on those gigs are, are, like, the best musicians in the world. Yeah. yeah. Just, but they use them for those scenarios because the music is so, um, it's it's easy, but at the same time, the productions are not. Like, the, like the, the live productions are... You know, sometimes multi-million-dollar productions, so they need to go off without a hitch. Yeah. So they need the top people to just to just that they need that headroom. It's like we know that you can do all this shit, but we just need you to play like this. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it needs to go off without a hitch. So it's kind of wild. You think about it. Um, but I, but so anyways, I, I wanted to talk to you briefly before we go on to like your background and all that stuff. You were signed with UAA Music. Mm-hmm. So what was that experience like? So the... It was a record label, by the way. I should mention I didn't say that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that was in 2013. United Artists? What, what's UAA? Yeah, sorry? it was like United Artists Alliance. Oh, okay. But it wasn't the United, like the big one. Yeah, sorry. Um, so it was a company out of LA, I think, as well. Yeah, that's what I read. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was surprising. You know, like uh, his first time... I had gone through that process of um, like officially being with a label and seeing how the little details mattered so much. Everything from a photo shoot, you know, they're making sure I didn't have anything that had labels on it and stuff like that, to the shows that they were put on and how everything was meticulously set up. Um, but with them, for the most part, they just took the music that I had already recorded and put it out there. Distributed it, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is, so you said you said you signed with them in 2013. Yeah. This is like kind of right when streaming was starting to become the thing, right? 
I guess so, yeah. So do, were they able to uh, – it probably wasn't as sophisticated at that point as it is now, but, I mean, was that, like, an aspect of, of their distribution? Were, were they, like, getting your stuff on there and be finally able to, like, you know, get you visibility on those platforms? Kind of. Yeah. Um, they ended up, like, going defunct a couple years later. Yeah. So I didn't really realize a lot from that experience as far as um, them putting out. Because the plan was is that not only was I going to be, um, they were going to be promoting my original stuff, but I was also going to be contributing to a lot of the other artists on the album. Okay. And... Um, yeah, before a lot of that really got to take off and was gone, they they were just disappear. Wow, that's I guess it's kind of typical of of like smaller smaller labels, though, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to keep that stuff going, especially nowadays yeah. where it's like you can't really produce a record or like you know finance a record and then expect a return on sales anymore. It doesn't really happen. No. So I, I I'm genuinely curious about the role that labels play today and, and how they recoup their their uh, investment you know I, I like there was a report that just came out a couple of days ago that um, showed the independent artist how much that has grown and how much labels are not needed as much anymore yeah um, because even when you do have uh, when you are represented by a label unless you're one of their top artists you just Usually everything that you make is going to go right back to them to pay for all their expenses. And, I mean, I can do that myself. Right. I got my 38 cents from Spotify this month. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're banking, bro. Banking. You, should, you should see hours, uh, our fucking bank account from that. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, like, and, and, and there's also, like, other ways. I feel like I feel like private investors are, like, are another way to go as well. And there's just, like, a lot, a lot of different avenues to explore now because there's ways that you can, like, to limit the, the way you pay back a label to just record sales or now streaming, really, it seems like that's a life sentence almost because right. it pays virtually nothing. And unless, you're, unless you're, you know, getting, like, hundreds of thousands of streams, um, you're not really seeing a huge uh, check from that. You right. Know? I'd so. have to imagine they, they got their hands in the pockets of either people that own uh, or not own, but like curate playlists and stuff like that, totally. and they're able to give money that way. Yeah. And then also, yeah, like I'm sure you do make a lot of money. Well, probably not even that much money off Spotify when you got like a billion plays or whatever. But it's supposed to be for uh, uh, getting you to come to the show and buy the merch and everything like that. So, yeah, it really does suck because that, that's kind of out of the picture now and then because that that means that that means that the label has to recoup it on that end then which already sucks because if you're if you're operating at that level you have representations right so, so you have like management and booking which yeah. both of those off the top are taking their you know whatever 15 20 percent sometimes so that's 40 percent of your check from that night going to them and then you gotta cut the label in on top of that you, you might be making half of whatever you're, uh, you know, whatever you made at the door, guarantees, whatever. So it just seems like to, to it seems like almost uh, just a, a useless endeavor to, to get linked up with a label. Yeah, well, with that said, like, I do have friends that, um, that have done very well. And usually what ends up happening is, like, 
10, 15 years after they've, you know, they've had like a repertoire built up mm -hmm. and then they just keep compounding on top of that. At that point, then I know, I know quite a few people that have done extremely well. So and it's a long-term investment. It's then very long-term. Hmm. And then I have a couple other friends that uh, write for a lot of the major country acts. Yeah. And they've got platinum albums themselves because they got the credits, the writing credits, and this is a whole other stream of revenue. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, and I guess that if you have, like, the, like the real value they offer, like, the resources, right? So it's like a label has... You know, they have the resources, uh, they have access to management companies and booking agencies and, uh, you know, um, publishing companies and all the ways to get yourself out there right. uh, that you might not have access to yourself, you know, so. Which, and then, you know, a little bit of uh, grease on the wheel with all the money that they did have before. Right. Mm -hmm. And if anything, they're taking away all the production that they didn't, that they used to do before, which was, you know, paying the retail outlets like Walmart and FYE and all those pl places like that to put their album in there right. and then also produce the actual physical thing and, and they're also not and distribution so and they're also not really engaging like an artist development anymore so either, all that you know? all that yeah. money may have gone to something else which probably would be to the the curating of the playlist and then also somehow it just it's just all advertisement all at this point and it's a weird thing to even call a label anymore yeah well because what it, do they it, yeah what do they do well, because uh, because also like the deals aren't what they were right. you know, 30 years ago. So it's not like, it's not like you sign a contract and then they're going to develop you and then you get uh you know, a million dollar advance to write a record and if it, you know, make it back because you're uh, on sales. Right. So like if a label, if you want to work with a label, you have to already have developed your brand. Yeah. So they're saving a lot of money and time and resources on that end of it. Plus they're only cutting you maybe like a $50,000 deal now. Right. Versus Versus like you know five hundred thousand or a million dollars, so it's much easier to recoup that when you're spending you know twice when you're spending that same amount on advertising on the platforms and and especially the streaming services, it becomes much easier to recoup a thousand or a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you know when when you know when most of the work has already been done for you, you know, so it's kind of still a pretty um, profitable racket. You know what I mean? Sure. The last thing I'll say about it is that, uh, like, they they were always the one on the cutting edge, like, in front of everybody mm -hmm. from the beginning, almost the gatekeepers of music back yeah, in, were, like, the yeah. 90s and 2000s before streaming. So you got to imagine that they were pivoting before anybody else was. Oh, for sure. So I think I think they're doing all right. Yeah, they are. I think there was a, there was a number that I, that I read recently. But I could be yeah. wrong. Like you said, there's an article coming out, right, that doesn't look very good. There's no oh, reason no, to no. do it now. The, the, the record labels were still doing very well. Oh, okay. But they were showing well. the amount of uh, independent artists in the past, I think it was maybe the past five years, how um, they used a pretty low bar. It was like the number of people on Spotify that made over $10,000. And the number of that thing is like 2 million people total. $10,000 over what period of time? A year. A year, okay. Yeah. And... Um, and then, then it went up to, you know, how many made 100,000, 500,000, million. And they had a graph that just showed the independent artists, and it was growing the whole time. Yeah. Obviously, it was growing more down on the low end, 
but uh, but it was definitely growing yeah. in all aspects. I mean, steady growth is better than no growth. Uh, um, and I think the, the, the number that I saw was something like labels are, and you guys can fact check me on this, uh, I think something that labels are making like $100 million collectively an hour off of streaming platforms. How's that possible? It's a collect the entire label industry, not just like one label. An hour? Yeah. You can fact check me on that for sure. A hundred million? Pretty sure I saw that. Uh, so it's $2.4 billion a day? I could be I could be wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, it sounds like you're wrong. Well, it depends on, <laughs> on, how, it depends on how, you, how many labels. I mean, I don't know the amount of labels that are out there. Maybe but you're like, right. That would be crazy. That's major, right. Like the major ones, though, obviously. You know what I mean? I just don't uh, really get it. Over $1 million per $1 hour. Million Sorry, not $100 million, but Still, yeah. that's, that's, that's insane. Major labels now earn over. It's like a hundred times less insane, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm curious. Is that is that like every individual label uh, at that level is making a million dollars an hour, or collectively it's the industry? Looks like it was collectively. That's still pretty wild. I was though. gonna say yeah. to, uh, what what you said about the Spotify uh, uh, artists that make over ten thousand dollars a year uh, selling or off of streams. Which is interesting to think about it in that light because now thinking about making ten thousand dollars a year off of selling albums is crazy. But like ten, fifteen years Look ago, it. that wasn't crazy. No, no. that's that's selling a thousand albums for ten dollars a pop. Look right. that though. What? Yeah. They twenty two point nine million dollars a day in, in streaming, streaming revenue. But is that for just music or is that for all like oh like Netflix and stuff? Yeah, too. Sony I think owns Seinfeld. You know, Universal owns everything, but maybe not. I could be wrong. I don't know. That's wild. An artist, point zero zero three <laughs> cents per stream. I mean, you know, that's where my thirty eight cents came from. <laughs> that's a lot, though, because you gotta get into the thousands. So that's a lot of streams, <laughs> yeah. man. Um. All right. Yeah, so it's anyways, pretty much pointless if, yeah, to to make money off of music anymore. So. Well, just uh, uh, as far as as far as selling records go, yeah, it's really just an avenue to. I mean, really, like like the, where you're gonna start making your money it's, is it's social media. Social you know? media and performing and advertising. Perfor- performing is not even that certain anymore because of COVID. You know what I mean? It's like if well, you're if, it, if you're I a band if you're a band that 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 before COVID was selling out, you know, theaters yeah. or like even like big clubs, right? If you're like you're like you're able to get back to work and make it a profitable endeavor right now. If your bands like us that were playing small clubs and barely like elevators <laughs> and barely getting like, <laughs> like an audience out there, yeah. like we're kind of, we can't really rely on that. Right. Because like some of the restrictions that are still in place, um, uh, really deter a lot of people from going out to shows. But if you're playing a theater and it, and it, you know, that, that holds 5,000 people and that deters, let's say 10% of that, Right, that artist is still crushing it that night. But if you are playing a small club and it deters, you know, ten percent, or you know, if you it, that you have thirty people coming out and it sh- and it, so you've never been to, that deters ten people from coming out. That's a sh- that's a huge chunk of of your revenue right there for the night. So it's just not like a profitable endeavor right now to be on the road touring. So like really, social media is a way to do it. They pay out much better numbers than streaming, like YouTube. TikTok right now I think is the highest paying out of all the really uh, the more than YouTube. Yeah, they they signed a fifty billion dollar deal with Sony uh, like two years ago or something or like a year ago. Oh, TikTok did. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, like, and then apparently uh, it's just a rumor that they're going to get bought by Instagram too. I don't know anything. About I saw that, that twice on TikTok so. today, yeah, or by why. by Meta, the you know Meta is everything. Marky Mark's 
ruling the world. You want to talk about an empire? That guy. He's fucking. He's crushing it. Good for him, though. He really deserves that. <laughs> um, so I want to get into some of your background. I know we talked a little bit about you know your uh, uh, upbringing and coming from a musical family. Yeah. So where'd you grow up? Uh, a little town called Demopolis, Alabama. Okay. So it's on the Mississippi border, right in the center of the state. Uh, little rural town. There weren't any professional musicians that I knew of. Uh, there were a couple people that played at the church on the side, different churches, but I didn't know anybody. Um, everybody, the people that did play music, just kind of a side thing. So I grew up, my dad is a singer, um, mainly soul music. We had just one radio station in town, and thankfully it was like an oldies uh, that played a lot of soul on there. So I was just inundated with that. And my dad, between that and like the Eagles and things, um, that's what was around the house all the time. So just grew up playing. My brother played a little bit. And when I went to Auburn, I initially went for pharmacy, but realized that I did not want to do just counting pills and chemistry all my whole life. So I, I took the plunge. I was like, I'm going to do jazz. And my mother was like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> so I count notes instead. <laughs> and uh, my brother was like, just let him do what he wants to do. And thankfully, like my parents, they always told me I had to go to college. And my mom was an um, English professor at a local college. So it was always understood that I had to go to college. But I also had to pay for it myself. And I had a couple of little scholarships, but um, the vast majority of it, I had to pay for it. And so that led me to just, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm paying for it. I'm going to study what I want to study. So, um, so I did that and studied jazz at Auburn, ended up uh, graduating Auburn in the 90s and stayed there. I lived in Auburn for about 12 years. And then moved to Jacksonville in 2005 and started up a school of music in 2006 and built that up. And during that time, I was playing off and on with different uh, bands throughout, mainly in Jacksonville, but uh, throughout the southeast. And just contributing to different recording things. People would hire me for recording stuff. And then sold the business in 2019 and decided to go back into music full-time. When I, right out of college, uh, and during college, I was playing four or five nights a week all over the southeast with a um, jam band called Sweet River Banes. And Auburn, so Auburn's uh, pretty close to Atlanta. And so we play basically all the college towns, Athens, um, Auburn, Tuscaloosa, and uh, Oxford, where Ole Miss is, Mobile. And I remember widespread panic just being uh, like a, essentially a local band. And they would play at the same little clubs in the early 90s that, uh, that we were at. So, uh, but then once uh, Jerry Garcia died, they just exploded. So we kind of rode their coattails. We played a lot of the same festivals and venues um, and a lot of their music. So kind of part of that scene. 
Were you guys writing your own stuff? It was probably 90% covers okay. between, like, Widespread Panic, Dave Matthews, that kind of stuff. You're a Dave Matthews fan? Not really. Uh, Fuck yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I'm not, like, against him. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, he's not somebody that I, that I just bring up on my phone. Yeah, I feel you. Billy hates him. He thinks he's the worst musician of all time. No, I think but. he's great. Some of those songs, like, I really enjoy playing. We, we played quite a bit of his. Um, what was it like coming up? Uh, in in your uh, in Demopolis is is, is, that, is that where you got your start like gigging around town or was it like when you were in Auburn that you started? It was gigging? when I was in, in Auburn. So there is nowhere to play in Demopolis. Um, my father and his group would play. They would travel around. Um, maybe there was like one or two little clubs that they would play, but they did a lot of weddings and that kind of stuff too. So um, yeah, there was just nothing happening there and. Um, but when I went to Auburn, my dad asked me to join his band. So I would drive home or wherever they were, usually about every weekend. And I did that for a couple of years. Okay. Um, but yeah, my, my hometown is uh, it's a unique place. The, um, you definitely have the southern hospitality and the friendliness, but it's had a lot of issues in the past that I had to work through. One of them being like, my friends and I, we created the first ever integrated prom in 1992. Really? Yeah. So before that, it was only like a white prom and a black prom. And I decided, I was like, no, this is wrong. So, and, and they, the school wouldn't do a prom at all. They didn't want to get involved in it. So we convinced the school, listen, you got, we have to do this. And... We created the first integrated prom. What year was that? Ninety-two. What? That's wild. So was this like 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 a like like a state like like a state law that there wasn't allowed to be integrated, or just happened to be that there was no. No, no, no. the school what, had to be the, integrated, but yeah, that makes the, sense. What would Jesus. happen is that people would say, and it was it was very racist undertones. You could rewrite through it, but they would say. Oh, they, they like their rap. We like our bands, right? And that's how they're, well, we're going to have a part, but it was like invite only, you know, at either the country club or the main city, civic center. Um, so, so we created, it was me and a couple of my friends, we created the first integrated prom, and that year they ended up having three proms. And um, a black one, a white one, and then and the integrated one. one. Wow! And I was one of the only people that only went to the integrated prom. Me and uh, my couple of friends. So, uh, but yeah, that continued, from what I understand, for the next couple of years in that way. And then they finally just went to just the integrated prom. But I heard recently that it's maybe even changed back to where they're doing the whole is it, is it white a, prom again. Is it a private school? Mm-mm. That's insanity. Yep. It's Alabama. Yep. That's insanity. They didn't have an uh, 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 African-American football player in, uh, at, at Alabama until the 70s. Right. Even though Jackie Robinson played for the Brooklyn Dodgers and integrated baseball in, like, the 40s. Is it a public college? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's public. That's insane. African, <laughs> yeah. African-Americans couldn't even play in the, the city square park Two blocks from my house until 1972. Mm-hmm. The uh, there was a 
a big pool. I lived, I grew up right on the river. Behind our house is a field and then this river, beautiful with like probably 30, 40 foot white chalk bluffs. And they had a pool there. Well, once integration happened, rather than going along with it, they just filled in the pool, covered it up, got rid of it, and opened up a new pool on a, like the all white side of town and just called it the private pool. <laughs> so that's, that's the workaround. Yeah. Yeah, because the government technically wasn't allowed to, they're not allowed to discriminate like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's like the workaround. That's insane. Private yeah. schools popped up during that time. And, and this is, what, 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 uh, what, what year is this? That was also in the 70s. 70s, okay. So it's not as surprising in the 70s just because, like... <laughs> I mean, all I'm hearing is the best decade ever is what you said. Uh, well, for music is what I said. For music is what oh, I said. For music, for music, yeah. for music, for music. Um, but yeah, it was great for music. It's, 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 it's not as <laughs> surprising uh, in, in the 70s because I feel like there was a lot of... Even though federally like there, were, there were laws passed, I feel like it always takes a while for things to kind of catch up. not saying it's... A, obviously, it's a terrible thing regardless, but... But it is, it, it's much more surprising that that dynamic was still existing in the 90s, though. Right. Right? So, yeah. Because, I mean, like, we, my dad has the same kind of stories. We, we, you know, he grew up in my, he's from Cuba, but, like, he grew up in Miami uh, mostly. And they, he didn't, they didn't start, like, de, uh, they didn't start, like, uh, desegregating schools down there until, like, the, like, the early 70s. Right. And so, like, so, like, the first year that they did de desegregation was his first year of high school. And it was like what, like 1971, 72. Yeah, that, those laws had been passed way before already. Yeah, you know? I think it was like 68 when Lyndon Johnson signed it all into. But yeah, it took a couple years. Yeah, so that's not so surprising. It's terrible either way. But like the 90s, though, that that was happening. That's insanity. Yeah, you know, it's all the workarounds and stuff. Yeah, that they were doing. Yeah, good lord. So um, my my town I grew up in, it's this, this dichotomy in that it was like. Diverse in that half of the city was uh, African-Americans and half were white. Well, and then there was like one Puerto Rican family and one Indian family. But <clears throat> so at the same time, like if you did not fall into that and, and it was really deep seated into just so many fabrics of our society up until this day, but, um, and then also, you know, there were a lot of overt racist things and there was a lot of very subtle racist things. But if you avoided that stuff, then you really got to experience each other as far as racist in a very close and personal way. Um, but yeah, it's, it took me really opening myself up and, and saying, like, this can't be right, and, and really putting myself out there to meet and become friends with people of other races to realize, like, this is all just a lie, like the things that I'd heard over the years. And, um, yeah, so, you know, there were some pivotal moments. One, my, that Indian family, he's one of my best friends to this day. Um, you know, the things that some of my friends had to go through, which is not right. But, uh, and my wife, my wife is Dominican. She's from the Dominican Republic. And 
that opened up a whole new world to me too. We met at Auburn. It's uh, it's it's interesting, man, because I, I have like a the exact opposite story of that, uh, and 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 partially because it, it was you know, um, I I went to high school, <clears throat> I graduated two thousand seven, so it was a little bit later on, but also because I I, I grew up in South Florida, where the uh, majority of the population is Latin, and then the next majority is black, and then the minority is white. So I, it was like the exact opposite kind of like thing. And I, we, we would have, uh, um, it was always weird because like I'm, I'm Cuban, but like I don't speak Spanish. So you would get the, like you didn't, it wasn't like cool to be white, right? Like you didn't want to be white. Like you were like the, like the, the square, like not cool person. Like you didn't, you couldn't dance. You didn't listen to good music. It was all just like, you're very whatever. And then, so I was always like, oh, I'm, I'm Cuban. I'm not white. I'm Cuban. But then it was, oh, they started speaking in Spanish and I couldn't like respond. And I was like, oh, well, you're not fucking Cuban. Like, so you start, like people started to deny your heritage. Well, it's like, well, I'm, I'm celebrating all the traditions at home. Like all my family speaks Spanish. Man, you know? I'm getting goosebumps right now. You know what I mean? It's my, like, my son deals with the same thing. Really? Yeah. Because he, he's half Dominican, yeah? Yeah. And he identifies as a Dominican. And he, but he doesn't speak Spanish fluently. You know, he, he can um, understand like better than I can. Um, but he doesn't speak it like, but he has lived the Latin heritage his whole life. He's been to the Dominican Republic twice a year and Puerto Rico his entire life. You know, his his mother makes Dominican food and Caribbean food for him, and, and we celebrate Three Kings and all these different things that are like... No Shabuena and the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So the he, he battles with that, too, because he, he wants to make sure that he's not, like, appropriating the culture... But it is who he is. But when he, he's very fair-skinned. He's got blue eyes, blonde hair. And when he tells people, yeah, I'm demanding it's the same thing. It's like, uh, are you? Yeah, which, which is a, a real bad feeling, right? Because it's, yeah. like, it's like, okay, but I celebrate the traditions. And I don't identify with the quote-unquote whatever the white culture is, right? Like, but, like, if it's, it's – it's, it's, it's very – I mean – White, like white culture and black culture, are very similar, especially in the South, as far as like the food that they eat and and a lot of the traditions that are being celebrated. So, so you don't celebrate those traditions, right? But at the same time, your own like like your own people don't look at you as like part of their culture, but just because you don't speak the language, so it's like there's like there's, there's this thing where it's like, well, I don't really, I don't, I don't listen to Leonard Skinner, and I don't. Uh, you know, barbecue, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I do eat, you know, a lot of Latin food, and we celebrate Noche Buena, and we do all the traditions. And uh, but I, I'm not like allowed to call myself that either because I don't speak the language or I don't look the part, right? So that there's this very weird kind of thing of just not knowing exactly like where where your place is, right? Yeah, I'm, so. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not even it's not even it's just it's it's just the reality of the situation, right. right? But it's just it's just interesting to hear, like the the other side of it because technically South Florida is like as far south as it gets. Yeah. But culturally, Southern Florida. Yeah, but culturally, it's so far removed from the South. So when I came to Jacksonville and saw the dynamic shift, oh yeah, people were saying all these things. Uh, 
you know, about, you know, this group or that group. And it's, it was so like, if you did see that kind of dynamic in South Florida, it was very small pockets. And like, you were like in the Everglades, you find the swamp people and it gets real weird out there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And Davey. No, Davey, Davey (laughs) was a small pocket in uh, the suburbs that, that, that was real. That was like real quote unquote Southern. Right. But like, that's that wasn't you got to to the Everglades out of the swamp you'll get the Confederate flags and all that stuff it gets real weird out there. Who the hell wants to live out there anyway? Exactly. Whatever. Um, you can have it. But <laughs> it's just when I when I came here and then like even listening to your like reading your story and everything like that was so far away. It was it, in fact it was the opposite you know so it's wild. You know that's why I wrote that essay that you're referring to is because at that time. That's when there was a big push to remove these Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing people say, uh, racism doesn't, didn't, racism's been gone, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's a thing to pass. Why are we dragging this all back up? And I was like, no, it's very well here right now. Totally. And it's just hidden under the rug. And, but I've never heard anybody else from my background speak up about it. It's like we all hear it, we all know what's going on, but it's like nobody wants to just say, like, no, it's just going on and it's wrong. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was big reason why I wrote that. And it's called uh, Racism and uh, A Way for My Life in the South or something. But, yeah, so my wife, she moved from the Dominican Republic to Gainesville, Georgia. Oh, and so she went to a boarding school and a high school oh there. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you understand this, but people would say, where in Mexico are you from exactly? Yeah. You know, and, and like, do you speak Mexican and things like yeah. that? <laughs> and um, and then, then a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of that was just based on ignorance. But a lot of some of the stuff was like actually hurtful and like, you know, she there's there's a level of racism in the Dominican Republic as well, yeah. but everywhere you know everywhere in the world. But uh, Latins well, Latins are notorious for that shit, man. Yeah, big time. Unfortunately, it just is what it is. But yeah, yeah. And um, but it was it's it's different and like uh, it's not as much of a hatred thing as like it is it's a class thing. Yeah, yeah, big time. Because my uh, my stepmom's from Venezuela, and so. Um, she, the way she talks about it there and the same way my dad describes it in Cuba is like, I'm not going to say it because it, it would, it doesn't translate well in the U S but there are, there are certain, um, uh, terms of endearment that they use. Right. Uh, and there's a very, um, welcoming and kind of, uh, I don't know, fa- familial relationship when it comes to, people of different races in those countries. However, there's an understanding that you have a certain role in society, yeah. right? And that's the difference. You know, like my abuela would say stuff like when I was growing up, like, you know, and she was an amazing person, right? She, they came here very, but they had a lot of money in Cuba. They came here very poor. They worked, they did the thing and raised a great family. My dad passed that tradition on. Um, but, you know, a different time, right? And she would, and she was just like, She'd see, like, you know, rappers on television. I just don't know why they need to be on TV. Like, things like that, you know? And it's just, so you hear shit like that, and it's just, like, 
is that you of all people moving to Miami in the, in the early 60s before it was, uh, um, you know, what it is now, right? Right, right. And, like, you dealing with that, with that kind of discrimination. Because uh, my dad dealt with it, too. You know, he, he got beat up. I mean, he got it from all angles. Black gangs, white gangs. Like, nobody wanted them there. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then you're going to have that, you're going to keep the same mindset going. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah. And she probably didn't even realize she said it. She had no idea. She she didn't know what she was saying was incorrect because in their world it's just like, yeah, of course we, of course, like we're all cool. It's all fair. But like, it's like you're at a different level of of status in society. So you don't like. Why do you get the same? Like you shouldn't get the same platform. It's 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 very strange. You know, like as 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 Americans, we don't fully grasp that kind of dynamic or that way of thinking. Um, so yeah, it's wild. You know what I mean? Thankfully it's changing slowly, you know, but these last decade or whatever, like it just stirred up so much. I think though, it was like always up under the rug Totally. and the rug just got lifted up and then all of a sudden it's like, there it is. Now we either have to let it infest our nation and just kind of grow and get even more dirt, or we do something about it, sweep it up, get rid of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, we haven't swept it up. It's like I had hoped we would. I don't think it's going to get swept up. I, I think what will happen is that I think that there's much less of those people than there are of, like, accepting people and just, like, more enlightened people. And I think that that's just going to get, at some point, phased out. You know what I mean? Rather than, like, sweet, like, like taking, like, if you think about, like, you know, uh, like imagine like a pile of dirt in your house, right? And there's there's like a force that's going to sweep it away immediately. Well, that's not going to happen. Right. But what will happen over time is that there will be a force of nature that removes it naturally. Yeah. And it just takes a lot longer for that to happen. But it but happens. It, it happens. You, you know, know? I, I've seen it just in my life. The uh, When I was growing up in the 80s, it was – very commonplace for people to just be openly homophobic. Yeah. On TV, wherever. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Watch Eddie Murphy's Raw. Exactly. Oh my god. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And and to see like how those things have changed systemically, there's still a lot wrong. Uh, I wrote a piece. So my son, he went to a magnet school. And he tested really highly and, and ended up going to this magnet school. So when we get there, we see, and I was also in a, um, what they call it, like a gifted program in, in my high school, and in, in starting from fourth grade. But in my school, you got to remember, it's 50-50 as far as uh, white kids and black kids. And in this gifted program, it's probably like 90-10. And at the time, as a nine, ten, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old, you don't even think about it, right? Looking back on it, it's like, oh, this is that was really jacked up. Well, my son's program here in Jacksonville, I go, and it's the same way. And I'm like, no, something's not right because how can you know? I know unequivocally that's just not the right way. So. We started looking at um, the way that you get into those programs is that a starting in like first and second grade, a teacher has to recommend you get tested. 
And then if a teacher doesn't recommend you get tested, you have to go to a psychiatrist and pay for it yourself mm. and get tested. So the schools that were recommending the testing and the teachers that were recommending the testing, they just they weren't testing. One of my best friends uh, is a local drummer. The, um, he went to the same gifted school, but he got put it in the academically talented. So the, what they do is, like, if you have really high grades, they put you in academically talented. If you have high grades, but you also got tested and you scored high on your IQ test, then you get put in gifted. Well, the, the kids in the academically talented just not, didn't get tested. It's not that they scored less, they just didn't get tested. Mm. And then, so you say, okay, well, they're still an academically talented, right? At his school, the academically talented was probably like 80% black kids here in Jacksonville. And, and um, the gifted was like 80% white kids. So why is that wrong? It's still academically talented and gifted. Well, to be gifted, the teachers have to have additional training. Those are the top teachers in the city. So those kids are receiving uh, schooling from the top teachers that receive the most training. That's happening right now. Yeah. At, like, here. In the South, yeah. Who would have guessed? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's all... I, racism is just so... Obviously, it's, like, an easy fucking thing to say. It's just so stupid. But it's just, like, the lowest... Like... You have the lowest brow of fucking discrimination. It's like it's just so easy because so I can surface. just I can just look at you and I can see something and I'm like, yeah, I don't like the way you look. That's the end and of you it. You tell me that all the time, actually. Uh, well, because it's mostly that tattoo. Yeah. But the whole point is that <laughs> I think that uh, the the if you could just see stupid, the world would be so much better. Without yeah. a doubt, if that's what fucking came to surface, what would your what, what would your solution to that problem be? I don't know. No, Every, no, let's talk about that. For everybody a gets. You, you told me in the van. What I would say. I would say would anybody anybody who had like any <laughs> sort of forearm t- tattoo here, yeah, would be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say that a fifteen-year-old kid who's doing a lot of drugs is kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> And that uh, everybody, everybody in the world has mistakes. Yeah. But tattoos are just mistakes everybody can see. Yeah. Right. Oh, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Right, but, but what's your solution to the problem, though? Because you told me this. In the there is no solution time. to the problem. Everybody yeah, just stop being a fucking dick, and that's the end of it. You said, Quit that, you, being... you said that we should segment all all those people off into an island. You <laughs> did say that to me. He, he is. He's, he thinks. I'm oh, not doing a oh, bit no, here. You, you mean actually all the, said that. All stupid the racists. No, all the stupid people. The, no. no. You said that. What? I'm not even doing a bit here. You said that. No, he you is did. doing a bit. No, 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 I no. never. I never you for said sure said that. What? I that that all. Okay. All stupid people should be put onto an island. An island. And then removed from society. They can all be stupid together on the on that island and then that with the rest of the people but i'm i'm, I'm also curious about what your metric of stupidity is uh forearm tattoos forearm tattoos yeah yeah uh i never said that yeah that's you ridiculous. did say it you did say it but um that's ridiculous. no i didn't don't <laughs> let that i'm not gonna let that stand um, i never said that but uh yeah man it's it's wild like the, the kind of shit that's still like happening right now you know but yeah i i, I personally believe that it, that it that a lot of that is um, I mean, it's technically systemic in the, in the way that, like, the people that work in the system are making judgment calls, right? Nothing on the books is per se saying that it has to be done this way. Exactly. But and that's the that's the distinction that I typically make. So, but I but the, the the problem is that you have people in positions of power 
yeah. that are you know based off preconceived notions or you know there's there's also this tribalism thing you know like the, the dominant culture in America as a whole um, on a macro level is is white you know so and then, and just naturally people tend to favor people that look like them and have the same values of them come from the same places as them so that's like an inevitable outcome of a, of a majority rule of of one culture but then on a macro or on a micro level that that uh that power shifts in certain places. I couldn't get a job growing up down south until I was like old enough to like really have a real opinion about something and convince people to get a job, right? Because I couldn't speak Spanish. Like it, there was there was no way it was happening. Um, I had to start off like my first like real job that where I worked at for a long time was when I was 20 years old. And it was at Sam Ash in Miami, and they started me in the warehouse until I could like prove that I could go out on the floor. And I did, I did my part to learn as much Spanish as I could to like get by or whatever. But um, you know, and I would imagine in New York, there's a similar uh, thing. In LA, there's a similar like, like major metropolitan cities where where the where you know it's not it's not the same kind of dynamic. You know what I mean? Right, right. So. And that's a little bit different, too, because that's based off of a skill set that's needed for that job. Here's another example. So when I was with the, the chair for the Arts Advisory Council for Duval County Schools, we had on our board um, different people from the community, and some of those were also teachers. And we had a teacher that uh, rebought over here that her classes, so she was teaching band, and... Her classes would be like 70 kids. They had no instruments. The instruments that they did have were busted up and broken. They weren't receiving proper funding. But then if you go to a school that's, you know, at the beaches, it wasn't that same. Right. So, like, those kind of little things are happening, too. They just have, have to figure it out and work it out. And the good thing is that it's being called, you know, people are working to make those changes. And little by little, those changes are happening. Like you said, it just takes a long time. But during that time, is kids' lives, you know, it's people's lives. Totally, totally. I mean, and and yeah, it's it's just it's the unfortunate kind of uh, reality of of letting nature take its course. I think that what when we see people try and force things down people's throats, we see a huge backlash right you know what i mean and we've noticed that you know with, with yeah. you know with, with our last president and and the way he emboldened uh a, a group of people to to just come out because he was saying how much one side was trying to shove it down people's throats and how that wasn't fair and that's like oh well now we're gonna go and shove it down their throats and we're gonna storm the capitol now all of a sudden the pendulum was just swinging back yeah. and forth you can't like you know in my mind it just it there's there's a judgment call to be made when you're in positions, you know, in politics like that, where it's like we can either force this thing onto the population, and uh, you're going to see a backlash for sure, or you let nature take its course, and it's a slower, more painful process, but it's the way that it's kind of supposed to happen. And it might be more long lasting. Yeah, it's it's for sure more long lasting because you don't have because the history is, it becomes the history of that becomes more distant, right? If you force it to happen immediately, the, his, the history of what just happened is so recent. So there's, then there's like this whole generation of people that remember this thing as like a forceful 
uh, play from, from like a government or whatever it might be. And they're like, well, we remember this as you infringing on our uh, beliefs, right? But if you let it happen naturally, it kind of dissipates over time. The history, uh, like there's no, there's no history of force making it happen. And then the history of, uh, the, the history just looks much better. It's like, well, this there was are, actually the right way to do it, right? There are some occasions, like my prom, you know, we, we received a lot of grief for that. Like, why are you, why are you messing us up? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Who knows how long that would have continued had we not? And, and there have been people way before us, like, like, they also said, yeah, it was wrong, but, like, they just weren't willing to speak out about it because. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I think I, you kind of do have to force no, it. No, I'm with you. I, I kind of disagree no, with No, that's fine. But, but, but it doesn't, but that speaks to my point, though, right? Because, like, because what you did was you, you, you offered an alternative, right? But the other things didn't cease to exist right away. Right, you, you didn't come in and say, this can't happen anymore. Right, right. We're going to do it this way. Exactly. That would have been like, that would have been the thing that would have clashed and made your thing not work, like, maybe ever. Like, it probably would have gone back the other way. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, what you did was like, okay, well, this exists, and now I'm going to bring an, an alternative to the table. And then the alternative was there, and then eventually the alternative became the thing. And that's how it has to happen. You present a solution to the problem. Mm. You don't necessarily eliminate... Uh, the, the things causing the problem right away. You let you let the you you let the the moral uh, uh, judgment do its thing because it, it, it I will think, win. I think I think there are some um, breaking points where it's like, no, this is just evil. Yeah, and and that has to be like a firm hand has to say no. Yeah, this can't happen. Like the Holocaust but, for sure, right? right? Like like things. Yeah, but but yeah, for for the most part, like what you're talking about. I, th- I agree with you because you otherwise you do you see that pendulum just swing back and forth because they won't nobody just moves forward right is he, people have to believe that they have a choice in the thing right and that's ultimately what's going to I think that when people are given the choice they will usually sorry the majority of people will will make the right decision and that's why things like your idea of integrating the prom ended up working because majority of people came to that conclusion do that we was better. Vote, do we vote for the civil rights movement or did the federal government put that into place? I mean... What do you mean the movement or like... Uh, like the, 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 the bill that LBJ passed. We didn't vote on that. No, no, no. He just signed that in the Exactly. Law. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, I disagree with you. 100%. Okay, that's fine. And we can talk about... We don't have to get into <laughs> the details of that, but, but there's a lot of things about that that, did, that didn't, that didn't it work was, out It was either. building up to it. They had to fight the entire way and like, do sit-ins and all that stuff. Like, it, was, it wasn't a, yeah, an was, easy thing. It was a huge... And still, like, I think that's the way that, that any sort of movement works ever, any revolution. It doesn't nat- up, naturally occur that way. I grew up right by... Uh, it's not Selma. a revolution. And every time I go to Auburn, I have to pass through Selma, and we'd go to Selma to sure, go to the dude. mall, um, and drive right over that bridge where Bloody Sunday happened, and you know, you get to meet a lot of the people that were part of that and went through that, and it was a wild time. It was I just, very difficult. I I, I kind of get what you're saying for sure mm-hmm. about making things last, sort of, but well, I, also, I, I don't also really think that's, ta- that's how history has ever worked. Ever. That, but also, what you're talking about was a, was a federal law that was passed, sure. And then the states that aren't obligated Jim, to yeah. to oblige by it, which was why it took them, you know, almost ten years after the fact. But it wouldn't to have happened it happen. if, if it 
if it wasn't? No, this, they presented a solution to the problem, and the states eventually followed suit because it was just the right thing to do, right? It, exactly. it was working. Exactly. Yeah. So you, pre- yeah, you know what I mean? So either way. But most of them, because they were losing funding. Right. Well, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. Game yeah, consequences. yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, money is a, is a major contributing factor to all these things too, right? Like, like, like most, most people are, uh, will, will be accepting of any race if there's green involved, okay. you know? So I'm just saying, um, anyways, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's, I, pr- we, I appreciate you bringing that subject up because it's, uh, this is, it's a touchy subject that's difficult to talk about a lot of times. Sure. And, and so I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, you know, it's it's always interesting to hear perspective. There's never a hundred percent solution in any of that. Yeah, of course. No, but I, I and it's just really kind of what's not even what side you are on about it because it's just all a philosophy. But I just think, yeah, fight the entire way. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. But teach your own. No, I, I agree with you. Fight the entire way. There's just there's just there's different methods of fighting. So and and that's and that's just the thing that there's always gonna be collateral damage in any way that you do it. It's just a yeah. matter of like. What like like what you're willing to accept as far as the thing goes, True. you know. So, um, and that's what's so hard to be in those posi- positions of power. Like those are the calls you have to make. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. those are hard. I don't like. I would never try to be a politician. You crazy? Yeah. Like I have a hard enough time just trying to figure out. Hey, we have an extra uh, X amount of money in the band fund. What are we, what are we spending it on? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it's New like, stadium. Yeah. <laughs> See my socks. Yeah. Oh, Got my yeah. lerp. My lerp socks. Hell yeah, dude. When are we getting that statue? Did it fall oh, through? No. <laughs> I was really excited <laughs> about that statue. Jack's lerp. Yeah, I am too. Like, uh, I, think, I think it fell through, didn't it? Can you get, look that up oh, well, before we go uh, to basketball fans? Opinions? Yeah. Basketball? Well, somewhat. Like, was... uh, <laughs> Auburn's been doing good. They didn't got beat. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, but I don't want to talk about basketball. Right right? <laughs> yeah, so, so we got knocked out too. You guys got That's knocked out. I don't know anything about basketball. Yeah. Your, it, it Duke in North Carolina, right? That was your socks. Yeah. No, no, it's no, the, the lerp. lerp. The, the, lerp. Oh, the lerp the, sign. Oh, yeah. yeah, the statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That uh, all my friends from South Florida were giving me so much shit for that. Yeah, like, it's it's. It, I thought that's what I thought is is what I said that it's it, it's not gonna happen. What? It got such bad uh, publicity, man. Uh, they, somebody needs to do a Netflix about this because that guy walked away with a lot of money for. Where's Miles at? Miles will do cursive. a Netflix documentary about it. <laughs> Anyways, um, I was kind of excited about I it. I was too. I was thinking, it's like, you know what? We do need a LERP. Yeah. We don't. No, but I'm seriously, like something nice, right? Yeah. No, something iconic would be great, but just maybe not something that's, that's pretty iconic. Butt of every joke across the country. Whatever. Yeah. The, Come the see memes. our butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, the memes that were made from that. He's uh, got socks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My socks yeah. literally have all the different um, names. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> You can pull that thing off. Yeah. <laughs> Lerp. 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 <laughs> so good. Lex, all the different like interpretations of it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was fucking interesting. Um, <laughs> you look great, Dan. <laughs> Welcome to the bottom of the bill. <laughs> yeah. This is life. <laughs> Uh, well, Sean, we appreciate you being here with us today, man. Thank you so been, much yeah, for having absolutely. me. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Um, Please come out April 9th, sit in with me. Oh, yeah, to- totally, 100%, man. That, that, that'll be a lot of fun. Oh, wait, we're going to be on the road that weekend. No, uh, yeah. Yeah, we fuck. God damn it. Wait, you're on Saturday? Yeah. We're playing Sunday. We're playing Sunday. Next Sunday. day. Oh, <laughs> next yeah. Day. yeah. yeah come I just us, realized bro. that, yeah. Right. Yeah, that'll be fun. Underbelly, uh, 
April 10th with Fortune Child and uh, Hollow House. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, so unpopular opinions. Yeah. The lightning round of it. Yeah. You want to do? Um, I had two unpopular opinions, but since we're a little bit political, I'm going to pick the political one today. Okay, pick the political one. All right, uh, this is kind of a weird one. Uh, uh, George Bush is to Donald Trump as Coldplay is to Imagine Dragons. I don't understand that at all. Okay, so remember remember back in like the early 2000s, everybody fucking hated George W. Bush. I don't even know who George W. Bush is. W. Who's that? Our president. I remember him. You don't, are you be, doing yeah, things? I'm fucking right. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, before Obama. But, uh, uh, or Byron, sorry, I said Obama, and then Byron's <laughs> But the whole point is, is that, like, everybody hated on him, and then, like, doesn't even care anymore. But then now, Donald Trump is, is like, everybody fucking hates him, or hated him, I guess, because he's no more. We'll see what happens. But uh, Coldplay, back in the day, too, I got, because I play piano, and that, I was, t- like, your journey was Coldplay for me. Clocks. Yeah, clocks, like, yeah. all day. Like, I, I like the whole Rush of Blood, Rush of Blood to the Head and Parachutes and all that stuff. I, I was obsessed with them. And I was in middle school and when that came out and what I was, thought was so great. I got so much shit for it. Nobody really makes fun of Coldplay anymore. They make fun of Imagine Dragons. Yeah. So I just feel like Imagine Dragons is the Trump of pop music? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's quite a bold statement. That would have been the real... No, it's the, just the George Bush of... Pop music, no, except play with George Bush pop music. I'm saying like that. That's the whole point of this. This is a bad unpopular opinion. I mean, <laughs> sorry for the course with you, bro. You no, know, I know. I had, had a really good. I really opinion. had. I had a really good one. You want me to start up and do the other one? <sighs> yeah, do the other one. Okay, I'm gonna do that. Well, only because you asked. Okay. Uh, 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 nobody gives a shit about the picture that you post on Instagram about the instruments on the stage without you on it before the show happens. Oh, uh, I feel, I'm feeling attacked Get right now. Get that off. It's so right stupid. I feel a little attacked Yeah. Right now. No, it's not just you. It's every every single post. It's just like, hey, we're about to set up. And it's like, and it's just, I, what I always imagine is, is it's like kind of like a Fantasia sort of world with like the instruments are the one that made the post. And like, they're like talking like, can't wait to come see us guys. And uh, yeah, so it's what's just, your, what's your solution? Don't problem? do it. Put a picture of the boys up there, or girls, or them, 2022. Yeah. But I'm just trying to say, like, that I I hate it. It's so stupid. It makes no sense to me. Here are instruments, and we're about to play a show. I've, Except never, even, I've never even thought about it. About doing that before? No, 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 about, uh, it's just about that. It's just, it's just a little, you know, grinds my gear situation. Yeah. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. Yeah. There's no know. point to it. Yeah, it's, it's another terrible unpopular opinion. No, it's not. It's a good unpopular opinion because you you seem to not like it. I just, I mean, I, I I don't feel that strongly about about it. So it's, oh. it's just one of those things. You know, the, like you just, you do it or you don't do it. I don't. I mean, it doesn't. You gotta post something, right? I'm not good at this anymore. You're terrible at this. This is our seventy first episode. Wow. Figure you'd have it down we by now. We used to do three pop every single episode. It's so. also our last episode of the season, which that we forgot is to true. Mention. We forgot to say that. Yeah, you are you're our final guest of the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hope it. Hope it. Yeah. Was good. Yeah. yeah it was great, man. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Um, all right, so I'm gonna save the day with a real unpopular Thank opinion. Thank you, here. because mine's uh, so as so always, my unpopular opinions are fucking dope. Yeah. Uh, and this one is that the Friday trilogy is the best trilogy. The Friday trilogy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's pretty unpopular. Yeah, because Star Wars can fuck off. <laughs> okay. Friday trilogy is way better. Okay. 
But you know, I like the Matrix ones too. He's never yeah. seen. Never them. seen any of them. So. I know. That's another unpopular. That's not really an opinion. It's just a You've fact. You've never seen any of them? Never seen any of them. I started watching the first one um, because he gives me so much shit about it. So one day I started watching it a few months back and I fell asleep. <laughs> well, I guess like if you would have saw it at that time, that was the first time CGI had really been used. Yeah. And it was so wicked at that time. And then it just was, the concept man. of it was like, wow. Yeah. Like, this, you know, that's an interesting way of looking at things. Now that's like, such common place stuff that maybe has not as well. I mean, there's moving still, as it was then. I think the concept is still interesting, though, right? I mean, and like, like I can always look past. Cheesy. Are we still talking about Friday or no? Matrix. The Matrix. We, oh. we can still. I, <laughs> I can CGI and Fridays through the roof. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I can look. I, I can look past the the cheesy uh, special effects. CGI and, Fridays. Is that what you said? <laughs> I can look past this, I, I can look past this, the the cheesy special effects and the um uh and, and like you know the the mediocre acting if the story is that captivating and right. that Friday does it for you oh I mean the acting was great in Friday number one but how about like the I look at I look, yeah I look at the Fridays kind of like I do police academy yeah. Like, I love the first one and Revenge of the Nerds. I love the first one and the second one. But the third one was like, ah. Uh. Oh, the third one to me, here's the, the, the next unpopular opinion, is the second best one. The first one is by far the best. Yeah. But, but, but uh, Friday After Next was so much better than Next Friday. Like, that's the order. It's, it's Friday, which is by far, I mean, you can't beat Chris Tucker. He's just yeah, yeah. the best. Um, but that, but, um, Next Friday was funny. Did it was they, good. Maybe they moved to the suburbs. Called it the, a trilogy before? No, I'm fucking making history right yeah. here. Yeah, and let me fucking have my moment, okay, Bill. Why go ahead. Sh- why was that <laughs> shut me down? Because you talked shit about Star Wars. And, yeah, and, and Lord of the Rings at the same time. And and Friday's still the best and one. And the Matrix. Uh, so Friday, obviously, you can't top that. That was just that's a classic. But if Friday after next was like it was Chris. I mean, the whole thing. It's so like Mike Epps. Is so good in that one because, like, in, ne- in next Friday, it's like they, they kind of introduced his dad's name. The uh, in, in real life, oh, I can't man, remember. He just died, he recently. just passed away. John, he was John something, John, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was, was so hilarious. Funny. Um, but like, yeah, but like, next Friday was good, but the they moved to the suburbs and won the lottery. It's kind of funny. It's like this really hood, Cat Williams, like, is in it. yeah, no, That's he's right. in the third one. That's right. Friday after next, he's oh. in, yeah, yeah. That's why it's another They're reason. So, Unrememberable. No, they're not. Usually, you haven't watched them. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Like next Friday was cool again. It's like you're in the suburbs. Like, it's like really hood family. Just like won all this money, and they moved to the suburbs. Like they're like disturbing the neighbors. It's the whole thing. It's good. But like Friday after next is like they're back in the in like the hood, and it's just like dealing with all that shit again. It's like that's just. I don't know, man. It's so good, man. I don't even know if I saw the third one. Now I think about don't. it. Oh, you have to after watch the second it. one. I was like. Mm. No, it's so fucking. Mike Epps crushes it. It's a, like he was okay in the second one, but the third one he really found his character. It was nominated like. for best. I'm gonna have to go watch it actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I heard of o- it. Yeah. Was it really? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it did. It won eight Academy Awards. Return of the DMK. I dude. would fucking believe if it, if it did, it's that good, bro. Friday is the best. No, that's my unpopular opinion. All right. Anyways, Sean, what's your popular opinion? Can I get my prop? Yeah. Your prop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally get your prop. Yeah, yeah 100%. That, okay. make, that, that, make, that, that makes it for sure. 
No, 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 not that one. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, I really Bonus booth boy <laughs> round. Will Smith should have decked Chris Rock. <laughs> Uh-oh. I mean, what? He, did, he did smack the shit out of him, but... So, this is my unpopular opinion. Yeah. This is the best candy. Black licorice. That is unpopular. It's gross. I, I'm, a fan, <laughs> I'm a fan of, like, I do like licorice a lot. But I could eat uh, Twizzlers, Pullin' Peels all day. That probably is my favorite candy. piece with me. Um, yeah, sure. I, I, you know what? I'll do it for the show. All I right. will. This is going to be terrible, but I'll do it for the show. Oh, boy. Thank you. Has it got to be from Australia? Why is it oh, sticky, it's dude? This gift. is good because it's made with, made with like uh, real syrup. Oh, this is Jägermeister. <laughs> in, in you know what? I hate Jägermeister, though. Why? Uh, this is it. This yeah. is it. I love these, though. I'm, I like it. I'm a big fan. I like licorice. It's literally going to make me puke. I'm not a big, I will say, I'm not a big black licorice fan, though. But I like the, I like Twizzlers a lot. I like the red licorice. I really more. don't like this at all. This is the worst thing ever. Oh, watch that some some whiskey. Can I have another one? That was really good. Manifest whiskey, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. What a nice guy. This got to be from Australia? No, I don't, I don't know why Australia, like, there's something about Australian licorice. That you see all over. I don't know why Australians like the licorice to get. What's it made out of? Just uh, like Jägermeister. Syrup, like just solid honey. Jägermeister. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> licorice. Is it uh, absent or what's the? Uh, I don't know. What's that? That little star. It's in all the Latin foods. The star. Star. It's it's a it's a <laughs> spice. Yeah. How do you say it? Anise, that's it, yeah. Anise. Mm. I, I, think it's, anise. Uh, I think it's based from anise. Yeah, anise seed oil. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's too why, uh, like, um, you ever had, like, that fire water from, like, Colombia? Oh, yeah, um, Aguadiente. Oh, yeah, all yeah. that stuff is, like, anise. Yeah, that it's shit's gross. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, like, no, it's, it's pretty damn good, actually. I think I'm on your side. It's pretty damn good. Actually, the worst candy you've ever tasted. So yes, it is very very unpopular opinion. I, I I not even joking. I almost threw up on the set here, which would have been great content. And I had I had a second piece. Yeah, I mean you would. I would. Look at that fucking phenomenal gut on you. Hey, come on. Man. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to point out your more your 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 your. Well, he just, he just told me today that this causes bubble gut, bubble so, gut, and hot snakes. Yeah. So I think that's maybe what's wrong with me. What? Yeah. Are hot snakes? Well, yeah, what you are know, hot snakes? when it's like you're on the toilet and it just comes out like hot snakes. Oh my oh. god! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, learning new stuff today. Yeah, <laughs> I'm you getting, heard I'm that getting informed. <laughs> Never heard that That's before. That's first. All right. <laughs> no one's heard that before. Okay, no one's whatever. heard that before. Whatever. Bubba We've already experienced snakes. it though. Yeah, probably get. Let me eat that whole bag and tell me how you feel. Yeah, yeah. Don't feel like it. Python's coming at you. Some hot snakes. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Fucking gross. <Yeah>. Anyways, <laughs> uh, this has been a wonderful podcast. Thank you for sharing your disgusting candy with us. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> <It was good. laughs> um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. Sean, thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for bringing the whiskey. Third season's yeah, over. Congratulations. Third season's we over. Did it. That's it. We wrapped we it, it up, together. guys. Thanks to the crew back there. Thanks to Chris and fucking Gene for crushing it back there. Even yeah, though Gene was really cheers. late today because you forgot some pieces hey. of equipment. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, no, man, stay. We'll pay you double. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next season. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>